going on, Duke fans? It is Adam Comer here with another episode of the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast. Duke is scheduled today to play Michigan State in the Elite Eight, so it's time for a preview after I do some recapping of the Virginia Tech game. And even before I do that, let me just remind you the podcast is up in the air in some way for uh, for next season, whether it's up in the air for, on a consistent basis or just up in the air, period. I haven't decided yet, but if you would like it to continue, I just need to know it is worth it because there is a ton of work that goes into it and I've never asked anybody for anything in the last couple months, I've kind of, I always find it awkward to do this, to kind of almost like pimp myself out, you know, in a way, probably the wrong words to use. But uh, if you want it to continue, it takes 60 seconds um, at most on iTunes, rate, review, please do both. If you enjoy, if you do not, if you're giving this a tap run, you do not enjoy it, that's fine. Um, you don't have to, but for those who do, I would appreciate it, or, uh, I mean, it's, it's in your hands. So anyways, after that awkward bit, let's talk about Virginia Tech. And this is, very di- this is a very different kind of feeling compared to Central Florida. Whereas Central Florida, the Sweet 16 win, I would say that game, there was some outliers going on, especially with like Aubrey Dawkins having a wild game, coaches uh, son, and obviously Taco Fall being 7-6, that stuff you just, it's, you can't prepare for it. And Duke, they played pretty well besides uh, those two outliers. Virginia Tech was another story. Virginia Tech, it was the same type of thing at the end um, with Central Florida of somehow, I don't know how the final shot didn't go in. Uh, Ahmed Hill, it was kind of a push sort of volleyball set that he missed, which would have sent the game into overtime on Virginia Tech's final possession. And, yeah, you could say that Zion had a lot to do with it. Zion was around there, but it, it was wide open. And I don't know the exact reason for it, but... Duke is getting Duke is getting crazy lucky. I mean, that's the bottom line. Duke is getting crazy lucky, and I mean, after after the game, Trey Jones said, uh, "We we really do pride ourselves on defense in moments like that. When it's win or go home, we love to sit down on defense and get a stop. They're not getting a stop. The other team's just blowing it. I mean, let's be honest. Obviously, a lot goes into a game more than just that one play." But when, he, when that's the one play he's specifically talking about or plays down the stretch on defense, they're not getting a stop. It's just you're, you're getting lucky. And Duke is very fortunate. That's probably the best way you can put it right now because they could, they could have easily lost in the second round. They could have very easily lost in the Sweet 16. And Virginia Tech, that wasn't the type of team like Central Florida where you should have expected Duke to roll them. Virginia Tech was a great team, and as I said in the last podcast, I predicted them tied with Duke for number three in the preseason, my preseason ACC predictions. So this was expected, and it's going to be very unfortunate. I think Buzz, Buzz Williams, he 
from what I heard, I think it's like Adam Zagoria uh, reported that he might be headed to Texas A&M. And, yeah, I mean, it's Buzz really got Virginia Tech rolling in the same kind of way he got Marquette rolling. And it'll be sad to see him go because I'm not sure if there's another person who at least immediately at this point could do what Buzz did at Virginia Tech. That is not an easy place to win basketball-wise. It's a very good football atmosphere. Basketball, it's a bit different. So I think that's official at this point. Obviously, I'd hope for him to uh, stay. I, I, I love Buzz in the ACC. Brings a great element to the conference, but it's really it's awesome what he's done for Virginia Tech at this point. Um, all right, so other things in the Virginia Tech game. I would say that uh, first let's go over your 2019 Heart Attack Duke Blue Devils. I mean, this is just unreal. They're 7-0 in games decided by one or two points since Gonzaga. <laughs> I mean, there's an 80-78 win over FSU, 72-70 over Virginia, 71-69 over Louisville with the comeback. Uh, then um, 71-70 over Wake Forest, 74-73 over North Carolina, 77-76 over Central Florida, and 75-73 over Virginia Tech. And just like in every single game except for Louisville, Duke missed a crucial late free throw or free throws, which could have made it a lot easier on them, won the game, or just tied the game. It's just free throws, which just, uh, we're, we're, they're taking years off our lives with this stress. Trey Jones missed the front end of a one-on-one um, against Virginia Tech, and it's just, it's so that puts him in, he missed a, a front end of a one-on-one against FSU with a couple minutes left earlier this year. That was at FSU. But the real, like, down-the-stretch free throws that have been missed, I believe it is three three games for RJ and three games for Zion, so they're all tied up. So Trey's now joining joining the, the fun group right there of the Heart Attack Blue Devils. So, I, I mean, that's just, you can't, it's tough to quantify with how that happens in terms of winning all those close games in a row. Obviously, you can't expect that to keep going on. It's just fortunate while it's happening and ride the wave, I guess. Um, the balance and momentum on Trey's catch-and-shoot jumper was night and day from literally the entire season. And it was either Raftery or Grant Hill, Bill, Bill Raftery or Grant Hill, who was saying that Coach K worked with him in practice in terms of getting his momentum moving forward into the shot. And if that is the case, it was tremendous because Duke was 6 of 20 from deep. Trey was 5 of 7. So he, I mean, you're thinking who's going to carry Duke from deep or who's going to at least provide a threat, especially with Trey with nobody guarding him. I mean, it wasn't as bad as UCF, but I think uh, many believe that it is very recently that opponents have stopped guarding him, uh, at least closing out or tight. It's been since Louisville. This has been going on a while, way before the NCAA tournament. So it was fantastic to see Trey hit those shots. And, yeah, I mean, that could be big moving forward. Absolutely big. Uh, Virginia Tech had nine unguarded jump shots in the first half, three in the second. I believe that was the biggest difference in the game because Duke, they were 
exactly what Virginia Tech's strength is on offense, three-point shooting. That's what Duke was allowing. And it got to the point where in five out of seven halves after the first half, Duke had allowed 40% or better three-point shooting. And for, for a team that their strength, one of their biggest strengths was three-point defense, that was just unacceptable. And at, at the half versus Virginia Tech, they were down fast break points against a team that really doesn't run. And they were down in offensive rebounds. And yet Duke, they are down often in offensive rebounds or giving up offensive rebounds. Virginia Tech should not be one of those teams. So, I mean, those are three categories, which it was just Duke. Duke, they're having a rough go of it recently. They're just so talented that they're able to still come out on top. But if we're honest, we can say they were saved by Virginia Tech's unforced turnovers and shots right at the basket. With Duke running them off the three-point line, Virginia Tech got a lot of opportunities right at the basket. And they were just missed, and there was a lot of unforced turnovers. Without Duke, they were not live balls. Virginia Tech just throwing it right out of bounds and just very makeable passes. It, it, it was just odd situations which are allowing Duke to come out on top. But at the same time, Duke was missing Cam Reddish, which was very unexpected. It's I, I'm not quite sure how that worked with finding out a couple minutes before the game that all of a sudden he doesn't have Cam Reddish because I believe it's a leg injury or something. Maybe it's not an injury, it's just hurt. Obviously, there's a difference between hurt and injured. It's the same thing, like, right before Syracuse he found out Cam was sick. I don't understand how you find out right before. This isn't like a football team where you have 100 players or whatever. I mean, you only have a couple, and especially with how big a role Cam plays on the team, it was just odd. So, you had him out for the game. Jack White was available. So, I mean, those are two things. This is what this is why I say doing a preview of of these games is just so ridiculous at times. I've done th- I've done three previews, and the, the one of them was the North Carolina, the first one. And Zion was injured like a second in, so it, everything I said was worthless. Then UCF, and now, and then uh, Virginia Tech with, I mean, Jack White, based on what Coach K had said the whole week leading up, he ba- he was, I think Coach K referred to him as more doubtful than probable. I guess that changed all of a sudden. So Jack White, he only played three minutes, though. So I think that was more based on a bad matchup because based on K's history, if a guy's good to go, he's good to go. They wouldn't allow him, especially with their um, trainer's medical department, to go kind of anything less than 100%. So I believe Jack White was good. But it's just, he, he only saw three minutes. Goldwire only saw three minutes. So that huge, all, the, all that depth everybody was talking about, which I said when I had Brent Wilkerson new on, yeah, it's non-existent. So, I mean, there there's a there's a six-man rotation pretty much. So all that depth is not there anymore. With Cam back, maybe become seven. And the big thing I was talking about with Brent is options. At least there's options. Even if 
the guy, everyone's not getting playing time. You know, maybe with different matchups, there's more of a chance. So, Duke's gone five straight games, even with Zion back, with their first forced turnover percentage under the national average, an 11 out of 13. In the last 11 games, the forced steal percentage for live ball turnovers is below the national average in six games, above in four, and even in one with the last game against Tech. The pace over the last two games is uh, bottom five on the season, almost close to like the UVA type of game tempo. Before the last half against Virginia Tech, as I stated, Duke had allowed 40% or better three-point shooting halves in five of the last seven. Duke's offensive rebound percentage has been below the national average in six of the last 12 games. The offensive rebound percentage on defense, what they give up, has been higher than the national average in four out of the last seven games. Duke, they're ranked number, number four in the country in two-point percentage, but have fallen below that in five out of the last eight games. And overall, the defensive efficiency in the last two games is among their five worst all season. So when you're looking at a team trending going into a certain game, those are some worrisome stats. But at the same time, March Madness and NCAA tournament is all about survive and advance. So, yeah, it's not great. But at the same time, it's still you just got to win the day you're playing. For, the, for 40 minutes of game action, or possibly longer or in overtime, you just got to win those minutes in any way possible. It doesn't have to be pretty. So, uh... I mean, Virginia Tech, they had 13 offensive rebounds. Five were reset in the offense, and five were put back. So those five reset, I mean, that's what that's the type of thing that slows down the game. Kerry Blackshear had 11 offensive rebounds himself, seven in the second half. That's wild. I mean, the three-point shooting, which I said they ran them off the three-point line. The Hokies, they, hit, they started out, they hit three straight, missed their next five. Then hit four or five. So at this at that point they were seven of thirteen and eleven of twenty overall. So most of their shots at that point, seven out of eleven makes and thirteen out of twenty attempts. There were threes. You gotta know who you're playing. You got to run them off the three-point line. So I thought that was a great adjustment by Coach Cat. And Duke is still gambling. And there and that's why you can see or where you can see the lack of Cam and how it hurts. Cam Reddish sometimes, hey, you could say absence makes the heart grow fonder. And Duke has gotten away with discipline issues on defense a ton this year because their athleticism allows them to make up for it. And without Cam, that's a big difference. That's a huge difference. All It's kind of like Zion when, when he was a... I kept referring to him, and I still do, as Duke's Band-Aid. Some of what he was able to do when he was in was only noticeable to some when he was out. But it's a bit, it existed the whole time. So Bolden, Mar- Marquise Bolden had a very impressive game. He did give up some offensive rebounds to Blackshear, uh, though <laughs> nothing compared to Javin. Javin had a rough go of it against Blackshear the same way he did when Duke played Virginia Tech the last time. And let's be honest, just Duke has a r- rough time with Blackshear. Blackshear is fantastic. Uh, did a lot of action on the pistol at the free throw line. Offense ran through him. He's just a really, really talented player. Really talented player. I mean, respect to him. 
Um, O'Connell, he did play, he played a very solid defensive game, and uh, he led Duke in rebounds. So I, I thought he was great. He was he was an X factor for me, which I thought was just was going to be more coming off the bench, providing energy. I did not expect him to start. That put him in a very different type of role. And uh, I thought he handled himself really well. He, he missed some open shots, but he didn't hesitate at all taking them, looked confident on the court, and came up with a big steal in the second half. I mean, he, 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 may not, he might not have scored or hit deep, uh, shots from deep as much as I would have hoped, but he held, him, he held strong there. And if he didn't, you would have seen much more of uh, Goldwire. So obviously, K trusted him out there. Um, so the free throw rates also turned into an issue. It's been 17.9% the last two games, which equals the two lowest of the season. So Duke, I mean, they got to get to the line. And Michigan State, their rotation, they're playing about seven dudes right now. The more aggressiveness, the better, especially from R.J. Barrett, especially early from R.J. Barrett. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, he he's I call him second half RJ, but it would be nice to have some of that in the first half as well. I was talking about Duke six man rotation: Jack White three minutes, Jordan Goldwire three minutes. Not much from them, but I think that was more matchup. Uh, Coach K with Cam, he said it's not like a structural issue with his uh, injury. I th- again, I think it was like leg or knee or something. So hopefully he's good to go. But right now he's not doing anything in practice. And he doesn't want to go until he's 100%, which is 100% understandable. Um, I said Trey was 5 of 7 from deep and the rest of the team, 1 of 13. And uh, what Kay did with RJ, he had a rough first half. He was initiating a lot of half-court offense. He actually had 7 assists in the first half, but his shot selection was typical first half RJ kind of jacking. And Kay used a lot of simple pin-downs to free RJ up in the second half, along with just generally more spacing and screens around the right wing to allow him to get downhill right to left. And that's something Kay, it's, uh, this isn't a new thing. He did that all season. And that kind of hides the fact that RJ does struggle to finish with his right. He can finish with his right, but it's not nearly as dependable. So making it easier for him giving him opportunities to get downhill, that that was big time. So that was Kay's uh, 17th Elite 8, or this is Kay's 17th Elite 8, and uh, that moves him past Dean Smith. He was tied with Dean Smith with 15. Final four would be his 13th. He's currently tied with John Wooden at 12. If you think about it, the first Final Four Kay went to was at Duke was in 1986, 33 years apart on Final Fours. That's nuts. I mean, that might be the most nuts thing there is, right there. 33 years apart, if they are able to advance to the Final Four. Wow. Uh, currently, 97 wins, 97 and 29 uh, in the NCAA tournament. Insane. I mean, that's just insane. Uh, as for uh, K versus Izzo. Obviously, that's being made to as, as a big story in terms of, uh, what to say, um, well, I already forgot, Matt Norlander wrote an article calling it the, oh, the gorilla stat, where it's just a stat that kind of keeps going on and on, and K is 11-1 and 
against uh, Tom Izzo. And obviously the coaches are not playing each other. It's the players, but still the stats count. Izzo's admitted he does think about it. But each matchup is new. You, you would say especially now with Duke having one-and-dones. I mean, because it, it would have been interesting with the whole Champions Classic if Duke had more of the four-year type so we could see them go against each other each each year and how they progress. But it's pretty much a different team every year, at least for Duke. Um, this is, uh, in the last 15 years, Michigan's advanced, Michigan State has advanced to past the second, path. Michigan State has advanced past the first round in 12 times out of those 15 years, from 2005 to 2019. They've actually played Duke and UNC six of those 12 years. That's rough. And uh, actually in one year, in 2005, they played both. Because uh, that's the one time Michigan State did beat Duke with uh, K. In 2005, I believe that was the Sweet 16. Um, let's see. So, so I would say besides that, with, with Virginia Tech... I mean, Zion did his thing. Zion's always going to do his thing. He, he had a crazy block, one of the one of the craziest blocks I've ever seen. I think, I mean, Justin Robinson. I believe he schooled him, and then Zion still somehow made up ground and blocked him on, on the way back. There was an alley oop that was just nuts from Trey to Zion, which got comparisons to Grant Hill against Kansas. That was pretty cool, and it's just Zion. There, there's a will. There's a will there that you can't teach. And it's not the same type of thing as Kay saying their will to win at the end because he's saying that at the, while other teams are blowing it. But uh, Zion, it's just when he gets the ball, you just believe he's going to make it happen. That He's just going to find a way. And that's it's rarefied air. But you can say that about a player, especially one as young as Zion. Um, let's see, I think that's pretty much it as far as Virginia Tech. I just think they got very fortunate. I mean, Zion got away with a call late in the game on a hook. I think that was, I think on Med Hill, he was called for it. Um, and Zion's the one who did foul, but, uh, I mean, as always, you could go back and see fouls from both teams. The ones that occur more at the end are always going to be talked about more, but there's tons of fouls, just like offensive holding in the NFL, where you could call it every play, but some are more blatant than others. I don't think the game was severely affected by fouls, and especially not even close to Central Florida, that stuff. Um, so I would say Izzo is basically piecing combinations together with this Michigan State team. It's a really fantastic coaching job he's done. They went into the season with, they had a lot of experience, but the two big big weapons on offense were Cassius Winston and Josh Langford. Josh Langford, foot injury, late December, he's gone. And that that's just a huge piece that's missing. Others have been in and out. I mean, you're seeing guys that are just appearing out of nowhere, Maybe they got a couple minutes here or there throughout the season, and but they're all of a sudden exploding into a big role. And yeah, Duke fans they they're um, they're upset that sometimes Duke doesn't have a player or two. It's not even close to what Michigan State has dealt with um, all season, which is never knowing who's going to be available. It seems like um, I mean, there's 
they have a couple which are mainstays, and then just surrounding them with anyone. I think uh, Izzo kind of compared Cash Winston to Tom Brady because Tom Brady, it's like a rotating bunch of running backs and receivers who he always plays with yet still wins. It's kind of what he compared to Cash Winston. It's not a bad comparison. Um, another guy who was in the rotation, um, Kyle Ahrens, he uh, severely sprained his ankle against Michigan in the conference tournament. So he's out. So they, they are very, very limited in terms of their rotation. Michigan State scares the hell out of me, though. I do not, I do not like this matchup at all because they're such – they only have Cassius. He's the, Cassius Winston is the one dude who can just take over a game, and they will give him every opportunity to do so. But the rest of the guys are so good at just knowing their role and so disciplined. And that's why, I mean, the X factor in this game is discipline. It's not even a player. It's Duke's discipline. Because if they are undisciplined, Michigan State's going to beat the hell out of them. Like, seriously. I, I mean, watching LSU, that's the same type of team as Duke, who likes to run, who shoots a lot of threes even though they shouldn't. Great two-point percentage, but Michigan State's two-point defense is, uh, I believe it's number two in the country, so they took that away from LSU. And LSU defense, they were just roaming around on defense and leaving Michigan State shooters wide open. And it's just, you can't do that. You, and they were not boxing out. I mean, Dukes, they give up too many offensive rebounds already. I mean, the, the talent can only do so much. Michigan State's players, they know their system. And Cassius Winston's the star, and the rest are just going to be playing their roles. So, I don't know, this matchup really, really scares me. Um, I would say one thing with discipline, at least Duke's defense, you got to watch out for those Michigan State big slipping screens. Michigan State has the second-ranked two-point field goal defense, as I mentioned. Uh, but you look through all the stats, and this is the same damn team stat-wise as they've been the last three years. And what's happened in the tournament the last three years, they've lost early. I mean, I, in 2016, they were actually my pick to win it all. And I believe they played the first game of the entire NCAA tournament against against Middle Tennessee, and they lost. And I was like, damn, that is the early, that's actually the last official bracket I've done. Not because I was bitter or anything. It's just, I, I'd rather just enjoy. Um, but, uh, yes, yeah, so they lost then. And then I, I think the next year they lost to Kansas in the second round. And then last year... They were actually set to play Duke in the Sweet 16 if they had beaten Syracuse, which they did not. So what statistically makes them the same as uh, the last three years? Everything. I mean, you, you look at it, you have the, uh, the effective field goal percentage, they shoot really well. Offensive rebound percentage, they, they're really good uh, I mean, offensive rebound, top 10. Effective field goal percentage, top 20. Um, let's see here. The uh, two-point percentage, top top 20. Three-point percentage, typically top 20. Um, three uh, Assist percentage. I mean, that's the thing. They just, it's such an efficient offense. They, they, they've been, let's see, the last uh, four years. Number one in the country, number three in the country, number one in the country, number one in the country. Pretty damn good. Um, defense, the effective field goal percentage. 
uh, top five. Um, let's see, the uh, offensive rebound, they don't give up many offensive rebounds. Two-point percentage, they're great. Number, they were number one last year, number two this year. I mean, everything is great, except for two things. They turn the ball over too much, and they don't ever turn it over. And they don't ever force turnovers. And you could say they, they turn the ball over too much. It's not horrific. The defense, though, they never force turnovers. So I think in, in the past couple of years, that's really hurt them because without live ball turnovers, how are you going to get out in transition? You need those free points. So you're just relying on offensive rebounds and second chance um, to get more opportunities. But it's tough. You find yourself in more close games if you can't get as many free opportunities. They're not free opportunities, but easier opportunities. So I was curious. I was watching Michigan State, and one thing stuck out because I was wondering, like, how are they better this year? Obviously, the NCAA tournament can be a crapshoot, so maybe they aren't. Maybe they just got unlucky the last couple of years in the tournament, which is very possible. But they, it doesn't seem like that. So I noticed they were still running off everything. They do not force turnovers, and especially not live ball turnovers, meaning steals. So I watched Cassius Winston just start running off of everything. Watched him running off opponent missed shots and made shots. And Michigan State being very efficient and, and scoring quickly and, or t- attempting shots really quickly into the shot clock, no matter what. So I looked up the stats, and you know what? That absolutely agrees and shows the difference. In the last couple seasons, they were not, they were not like that, and that just shows what an impact Cassius Winston has on Michigan State. Because you look at, let's see here, percentage of uh, initial field goal in uh, field goal attempts in transition, Michigan State's 13th in the country. Duke is 16th, and Duke forces a million more turnovers than Michigan State. So you, you look and, let's see here, the percentage of initial field goal attempts um, after a rebound, 0 to 10 seconds. Let's see here. Michigan State is number six in the country. They they twenty two point one percent of their initial field goal attempts are off rebounds in transition. That's pretty impressive, right there. That is really impressive. And the effective field goal percentage sixty three point nine, number two in the country, and it's the same type of thing as after opponent makes. So I don't want to get too into the stats here because I know I've, I've done a lot of that. And this is kind of, when I, when I watch Virginia Tech, I could talk about their players more and their system and everything. I mean, I'll be honest, Michigan State, I have watched uh, them recently, but I can't talk throughout the season as if I've watched them play continuously in their progression and their sets and everything. I just, I haven't had the time. So I, it's going to be a little more stat-reliant, but I don't think there's too many more that are like that um, in terms of Michigan State, too many more subjects that are like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they're, they're going to be running off of 
non-turnovers. So if Duke's transition defense is crap, they're going to get burned. Um, let's see. Uh, Cassius, let's go through the lineup, though. Cassius Winston, 45% assist rate. It's number two in the country behind John Morant. Cassius Winston, everything goes through him. He can play on ball. He can play off ball. A lot of pick and roll. Everything works around him. He is really the only guy who can beat his defender off the dribble, so they're going to give him ample opportunities to do so with help. He he did, he has gone through some knee tendonitis and a toe injury this year, so they're kind of trying to give him rest when they can. I think they played five times in eight days, and they gave him some rest um, earlier. And he actually guarded Skylar Mays on LSU, and is to kind of give him a rest, a little bit of a rest on defense when you might have expected he would actually be on um, on Waters, Tremont Waters. But it's, it's very understandable. I think he's going to be on Trey Jones more often because Trey isn't quite the threat <laughs> that uh, Tremont Waters is. Trey was great at hitting his jumpers the other day, but it's just not quite... Trey's not going to. I don't think Trey's going to put a, a ton of pressure on Cassius Winston when Cassius Winston's on defense. So let's see. Next, um, he has a really great runner. That's one thing I've noticed from him, which is, it's. I mean, touch is just. It's really nice to watch. It is really pure, and he does everything well except finish in transition himself. That was kind of surprising because he finishes at the rim. Um, really well in half court, but in transition, he's uh, not as successful, but he is a great passer um, on the break. Let's see. Um, and I think if Jordan Goldwire is in the game with Trey, he'd probably guard Goldwire. Again, just to give him a break, which is understandable. He carries the whole team. So Aaron Henry, if uh, you don't know who he, who he is, you might have heard about uh, a certain incident where a Michigan State player was chewed out by Tom Izzo, and that was uh, quite the uh, debate. Um, he had a career-high 20 points. He, did, he does a little bit of everything. In my head, I keep com- kind of combining Xavier Tillman, another Michigan State player, and uh, Aaron Henry's name to form uh, Xavier Henry, who actually was a player for Kansas like a decade ago. But uh, it's Aaron Henry's freshman he had a career high in minutes, points, minutes, assists, offensive rebounds. He did it all, and this is the type of guy he had. He he was in double digit score. He had double digit scoring games twice before. Like this came out of nowhere, and all of a sudden he's just a stud, just doing everything for Michigan State, especially in the first half to gain that momentum. And he looks like a great player. I'm saying that uh, Cassius Winston might. Uh, he's the only guy who can create off the dribble, but, I mean, this guy, Henry, I don't know. I don't know if it's one game or if he can do it more because, uh, he going through, like, his stats don't match up to what he did yet in the, the game against LSU, but he looked good doing it. I'll say that. Um, he, he's a 6'6 freshman, if I didn't mention that. Matt McQuaid, senior, 6'5". He's a shooter, and that's pretty much what he is. Not a great ball handler. They occasionally use him in the pick and roll, but he's not great. Uh, Cam would be huge to have on him if available because Cam could put a lot of pressure defensively on him 
and when Cam's on offense, put a lot of pressure going the other way. Uh, Matt McQuay, do not leave him. Do not leave him. You can't leave him. That's what I'm talking about with discipline. You just got to know what the priority is and when you can kind of take that risk and really deny the passing lanes a little more, maybe roam off a little bit, and when it's just you can't do it. Um, let's see here. So we got uh, Kenny Goins. Kenny Goins, 6'7", 230. He is uh, he's actually a pretty good shooter. And most of his shots are taken from deep, but he can bang inside as well. I would say I, I always like to kind of point out the glue guy. He is the glue guy. Uh Got, got some minutes because of injuries and has played really, he's trusted. He plays really well in those minutes. Uh, Xavier Tillman, I, I really like him. Great mid-range game. You, you think, who are we going to worry about most with offensive rebounds? Xavier Tillman, you got to keep him off the glass. 6'8", 260, and he can, he can bang. He can bang inside. So watch out for him with the offensive rebounds. Nice touch on the mid-range. Uh, Nick Ward, 6'9", 245. He's their most talented big. He's somebody who, who they can dump the ball inside to. Excuse me, dump the ball inside to. He had surgery on, his shoot, on uh, a finger on his shooting hand. So he was out for a couple games. Then against LSU, I think he banged um, that same hand on the ground. And they're calling it a bone bruise in, in, uh, in that finger. He said he is definitely good to go. So we should be expecting Nick Ward, really talented. Um, he would be starting um, if he wasn't out for so long. He's, he's kind of getting his legs back under him, although by now I think he's pretty much up to par. Maybe uh, Izzo just doesn't want to mess with the rotation right now. Uh, Gabe Brown, he's, a, he's another one. There's the same thing like Aaron Henry. It just came out of nowhere. Gabe Brown, 6'7", freshman, came in with 57 points in 29 games. Then against LSU, he had a career-high 15 points. He, he was 12 of 34 from three, then hit 4 of 6. I mean, 12 of 34 from three in 29 games. Like, so he's, he's hitting like one every like two and a half games, and then all of a sudden he hits uh, four of six. That's wild. To just, I mean, that's, I don't know if you can credit Izzo. I think we do credit college coaches too much at times because, I mean, if you don't know what's going on behind the scenes, then, hey, I'm sure the, the coach must be doing something right. But credit the player. I mean, Gabe Brown, really good job. But, I mean, that's the thing. You don't know if it's repeatable, especially from someone like me who has not watched him. Uh, much of the season, but even Michigan State fans, I don't know, I don't know how much they've watched him. If he hasn't really played that much, they have another guy with a tremendous name, Foster Lover. He's a backup point guard. He really doesn't see much action. And Thomas Kithier, freshman six eight, he doesn't really see much either. So yeah, I mean, they're really experienced, and I was they're very disciplined. And Duke's just got to play smart. I mean, Duke has to play smart, but that's not their way they're built. They're built on taking risks and using their athleticism to their advantage. So you just have to hope they can be disciplined.
I mean, that's the bottom line, because if they're not, this is, this is a very bad matchup for them. And there's been a, this East region has been full of them in terms of teams that really take away the two-pointer. Because they already played Central Florida with their big, obviously. And Virginia Tech, same thing. Virginia Tech, um, they pretty much play their defense packed in, and that wasn't ju- they don't do that just versus Duke, because obviously you could say everyone's going to do that versus Duke. That's how Virginia Tech does play, but they don't have the big guys inside. And while Michigan State, they don't have the real big guys, they have, their help defense is tremendous. And... That's what makes it so fascinating because of how good it is watching them. I mean, just swarm down low, make it tough inside. I really don't know why every year they don't force many turnovers. Because you would think that would work out for turnovers. So that's something I'm going to have to look into in the future in terms of why. I mean, they're consistently among the worst in the entire country in forced turnover percentage. And I'm not sure why. So, I mean, maybe it's because they're not super athletic, so they're not denying the passing lanes as much, but I don't know. I mean, if anyone watched Texas Tech-Gonzaga, in Texas Tech, they would strip the ball from, from Gonzaga players, like, every time. It wasn't even in the passing lanes. It's just, if you're, uh, yeah, they were just anticipating dribbling. Gonzaga players, they were loose with the ball. That was, I mean, tremendous win by Gonzaga. I mean, by Gonzaga, by Texas Tech. I really was hiding Gonzaga entering the tournament, and uh, heck of a win. Heck of a win by Texas Tech. Probably not what the, the NCAA would never admit this, but they want more fun-to-watch offense. So this is not, Texas Tech isn't the type of team that is, I would say, fan-friendly. Uh, so I would guess that uh, they are rooting for Duke, Kentucky, just name-brand, Blue Bloods which for good reason, um, that will get tons of, uh, tons of uh, people watching. Um, Virginia also won a wild game. Carson Edwards might have had the uh, performance of the tournament. I mean, I don't see how, how he didn't. No matter how, like It would be tough to have anything more impressive than what he did. I mean, uh, I don't have the stats in front of me. He hit at least 10 threes, but Virginia won in overtime, and... Uh, Bennett, he went big at halftime. But, I mean, I mean, a, a lot of it is just the difference in Virginia this season compared to, to previous in terms of Tony Bennett just basically trusting his playmakers to make plays. There's a lot more ball screen, continuity ball screen, and that allows your playmakers to just have more freedom. And it's uh, I really think it's been great for him to make that adjustment. You, you have to adjust to your skill set, the skill sets of the specific players, not just one time kind of setting up a system uh, before the season and just sticking with it and refusing to do anything else. This is something he's adjusted throughout the season. And Diakite, just his role has really expanded. Kihai Clark, he... He's really the only player who somehow was able... I mean, the 5'7", little net, and I mean that it's very complimentary. Um, he was great on uh, on Edwards. He was the only one. Because they guarded him with uh, DeAndre Hunter 
as well, and as someone else, I forget who, it might have been Kyle Guy, and both of them just got burned by by uh, Carson Edwards on Purdue, but uh, Kehi Clark, he, he, was, he was able to bother. So, yeah, I mean, and that's a guy, he wasn't seeing a ton of minutes early in the season, and uh, Brax, Braxton Key was seeing more minutes, and I think Braxton Key could still have a big impact for Virginia, but you just play with what works at this point in the season, as I said, I mean, I'm listing down all those Duke stats that are not pretty, that are basically almost screaming at you, things are going wrong. Hey, just one game, find a way to win. That's what it's about right now, find a way to win. For K to make that record 12-1 and instead of 11-1. and So if Duke does make uh, the Final Four, and then we'll get to some teams. I've seen more Texas Tech. I've watched more of them. So that'll be easier than Michigan State, who honestly, I really hadn't seen until basically last night when I watched two of their games. And it makes things difficult. And I apologize for probably over-relying on stats too much. But this isn't what I do anyway. So I will I'll make the, the same disclaimer as I did before that this is not like, I'm not trying to make takes from this or predictions or anything, especially with Michigan State. This is just, it's to give some sort of kind of introduction to what's going on because the previews that I see are just that there's not much going on in them. It's just, it's the same old, same old. But there, there is one stat that's interesting. And I haven't really seen anywhere. So it is, uh, let's see here. Duke is a perfect 29-0 when it holds opponents to 76 points or fewer this season. And Duke is 3-5 and five when opponents score more than 76. So that's one of those stats where it's like, I don't know, there's a lot of kind of noise around those stats. But at the same time, <laughs> it's one of those interesting kind of things, again, 29 and 0 when it holds when they hold opponents below 76 and 3 and 5 when opponents score more than 76 and the way I wrote that I'm guessing that they've not ever allowed 75 cuz I'm not sure how that would work with 75 but I don't know I'm not going to overthink that one So Duke Michigan State today set uh elite 8 515 and, yeah, hopefully I am back with more, and hopefully I am able to, to actually go over, recap, analyze the Michigan State game, rather than do these awkward previews, because this is not my favorite thing to do, but it is honestly an honor just to be able to be lucky enough to do this while Duke is in the NCAA tournament right now, still in the lead Eight, so if they weren't in it, Obviously, I wouldn't be doing it, so I am very fortunate, and we should appreciate Zion while he's there. We should appreciate RJ while he's there. Cam, hopefully, he can get some action while he's a Duke. Trey Jones, I mean, all these guys, they we are, we are lucky to be able to watch them, so very cool. Hopefully, we'll be able to watch them for at least one more week. I am Adam Comer. Again, if you uh, enjoy the pod, 
and there will be a lot of, again, if Duke wins, there will be a lot more entertaining ones. If you've listened to this before, you know that uh, my style, what I do, and uh, yeah, usually it runs more smooth with in terms of evaluating and projecting everything, all that stuff. Um, but if you go back and listen, it's good stuff. If you enjoy, take 60 seconds on iTunes, rate and review. I appreciate it. I'm Adam Cromer. I'll be talking to you soon.